0: Hey guys, welcome back to our grand final episode of After the Siren. I'm your host Nisha and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host Jarvis and we have got a big special episode for you today. I feel like I say that every week that every episode is special but you know we try and make it special every week. Um, Just to give you a bit of a rundown instead of our top footy moment we've got our top grand final moments of recent history. Um, We've got all the information on Sunday night's Brownlow medal, any coaching updates that have happened over the last couple of days, as well as a final injury update heading into the grand final and our amazingly detailed grand final preview that we have put together for you so stick around for that now we'll get stuck into our top grand final moment mm-hmm. but if you have a top grand final moment of your own after this weekend's game please send it through to us at <laughs> after the siren podcast on instagram Almost. i'm mixing you up our that. twitter on, on our instagram anyway jarvis what is your top grand final moment?
1: Well, I, th- I don't know i think you go. In, i i can look none other than the 2016 grand final, I don't know why it would come to me so easily, <laughs> um, but I think one of the most memorable moment, moments out of that grand final was that, um, was that Tom Boyd goal from outside the square.
0: Yes, very famously commentated as well.
1: Yes, so um, I mean obviously that was a game changer for us, um, a big celebration moment for the Dogs um, and any Dogs fans out there, so I could no- look no further than the, to that goal um, and that moment, especially in that 2016 grand final.
0: Mm, yes, that was definitely a worthy top grand final moment. Now I've struggled a little bit and I have i feel like I always make the rules to these and then I break them. I've got two yeah, top sounds, grand final yeah. moments.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. It <laughs>
0: sounds about right. The rules don't apply to me, no, but they, they do apply do. to you. Yeah, um, so my top grand final moment... Uh, part one, is that Nick Malczewski goal in 2012 that sealed the game against the Hawks. Now, if you remember back that far, it was a stoppage inside the Swans' forward 50. Mm-hmm. Hanabree extracts the ball, hands it off to Malczewski, and he kicks it round his, uh, over the shoulder almost, um, sailing through the goals and sealing the game, essentially. Mm. Um, And this one's a little bit more recent in the 2018 grand final between the Eagles and the Pies. Dom Sheed's winning goal as well. I seem to be a sucker for winning goals uh, in this section. Well, they're a big
1: part of the grand final. They they? are,
0: but that one was very, very, uh, I guess, famous with uh, the big intercept mark by McGovern. Kicked it straight down the line to Vardy. They knew they had to move the ball quickly. Vardy got it to Ryan, who took a spectacular mark, and then over into the pocket with Sheed, who kicked a spectacular goal under probably the most amount of pressure you could ever be under. <laughs> so, a very, very two worthy top grand final moments
1: a bit of a cheap but it's all right. A bit, of a cop out.
0: <laughs> bit of a cop out. Can't settle on one. Just want to make everyone happy and include a few teams into our top grand final moments. Unfortunately, I was not alive to witness any of Carlton's grand final moments. So, yeah. Anyway, we'll move on from that before I start crying about how Carlton don't win. Carlton do not win. Um, we'll head back to Sunday night and everything that you need to know about the Brownlow medal count that took place on Sunday night.
1: Yeah, so obviously congratulations to uh, Ollie Wines, who has won the uh, the 2021 Brownlow. He's 26 years of age and had an historic night, equaling Dusty in 2017 with 36 votes. Um, obviously, your runners-up was Bont with uh, 33. Uh, you had Oliver with 33. 31 and Walsh with 30. Yes,
0: and that is the first time, in fact, that we have had multiple players over 30 votes, let alone four players. So before tonight, you'd only had the one player over 30 in one season, Um, but it just shows the calibre of the talent and the young talent that's really running around at the moment in the AFL and two of those players to go head to head this weekend. So it's really exciting. We get to see the best of the best outside. On the field this weekend,
1: and obviously uh, Ollie Wines is the first Port Adelaide player to actually ever win the Brownlow Medal. So uh, that shows the level of skill, and um, I guess how hard it is to win this Brownlow Medal when um, a team has never won it before. So good work to Ollie Wines' outstanding season. Really brought brought it home in those last few uh, few rounds for sure. Um, but you know that's what he did throughout the season was the consistency and was uh, was there for his team. Didn't really miss a game. Um, so yeah, I mean, what can more can you say about this guy? Obviously not going to play for the big prize, but that's all right. The, uh, the Brown boys are pretty good one to have as well. You know, the 18 carat gold around your neck.
0: Yeah. And, and when wine spoke to the media on Monday following his victory, he talked about his relationship with uh, his coach, Ken Hinckley, and it said it took him a little while to, to trust Ken Hinckley. And, um, he had a lot of conversations with his mum about it actually, And that trust that he's been able to build with his coach is obviously someone that takes a little bit of time to warm up to people. Um, It's worked out quite well for him, obviously. Uh, Despite not having a premiership to his name, he's pretty happy with how his career has gone, which is a fair statement. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you were a part of Port Adelaide, you'd probably be looking for that next step from Ken next year or probably see you later, depending on how it all goes.
1: Just have to wait and see. But obviously, if you're able to help a player get his way up and build some sort of consistency and um, some sort of amazing year. Like Odin Wines, obviously the coach knows what he's doing with his players and that's kind of a big part at least. Mm.
0: And it was a very exciting count as well. I think um, we didn't really have an idea of who was going to win until the last two rounds probably. When
1: Last three, I want to say. Well,
0: I think you you could have hoped that, um, that Bond snuck a vote in here or there, but he was unable to do that, um, which
1: was predicted.
0: But I think it was... Not till the final round where you knew he was the winner. I think, um,
1: I think Oliver got a bit... Um, was was in the running for a little bit there, but he was never really, like, favourite, favourite.
0: Yeah, well, he was out of the running with two rounds to go because yeah. he was on 28 while the others were on 33. So um, he couldn't win it with, you know, a mathematical. But he did get the three votes in the last round, which kind of pushed him up um, into third spot, uh, overtaking Walshie. Anyway, we'll move on from that Brownlow story. If you're an AFL fan, you are probably watching on as the events unfolded anyway. Um, but we've got some updates on the coaching uh, saga at Carlton and what's happened with David Teague now that he's moved on. So uh, Clarkson has turned down the Blues' last-ditch effort to land him once again. And David Teague is headed to Tigerland in an assistant coaching role. Um, both of them have left a few quotes, so we'll just go through and, and see what they had to say about about these uh, news stories.
1: Yeah, so Clarkson um, was on uh, AFL 360 on Monday night, uh, the Fox footy program. Uh, he, pretty, he stated, sorry, that uh, if I need a spell, um, I've got two years, it's flat out or stop. I'm just not ready to go flat out again right now. So this kind of puts a bit more pressure onto Michael Voss. Um, obviously Clarkson, um, who was taken a step down and also a bit fired from the, um, the Hawthorne Football Club after the three premierships that they won there. Um, as compl- four premierships, sorry, I'm completely <laughs> stupid. Um, so, yeah, Clarkson is just going to take a bit of a, a stop roll for now and just kind of chill out and enjoy some life.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and we spoke about Michael Voss last week as well, so if you were wondering uh, any more information on Vossi, he is... Uh, been well covered in our last episode, but with uh, Clarkson yet again turning down the role, uh, as you said, Fossey is probably the one to look at and follow along now. But Clarkson did say that there was a temptation to take a role at Carlton or Collingwood, but it wasn't strong enough. And he has a few objectives that he wants to get out of next year. He wants to commit more to seeing family and friends, hopefully, study abroad and put something back into the game. So, whether he heads over to the US and looks at a different sporting code or just, you know, does a little bit of soul searching into how he's going to improve his coaching strength to suit the modern era of the game because we had seen the Hawks fall off the pace as the pace of the game has picked up. So he's going to need to do a little bit of, you know, recuperating and reevaluating how he, you know, steps into a brand new coaching role at a new club. Now, with David Teague, who was obviously the former head coach of Carlton, who's been uh, stepped down as a result of that Carlton review that's been very public over the season, he's now taken a assistant coaching role at, uh, at the Tigers. Yes.
1: Yeah, so... Um... I mean, Teague's worked um, multiple similar roles um, at West Coast, St Kilda, Adelaide and Carlton, obviously. Um, so this is going to be his fifth stop in this kind of assistant coach slash senior coach role. So yeah. um, obviously more a bit more experience for Teague um, as coming off a bit of a lacklustre couple of years at Carlton, obviously.
0: Yeah, I think his quotes here were really positive, And he said, coaching is my passion and I'm excited by the opportunity to get to work with a new group of players at a new club. I'm looking forward to getting back to work this preseason and embracing the challenge that we all have to climb the Tigers back up the ladder in 2022. So he'll be on the opposite uh, coaching box than he was last year come round one 2022, which should be a really interesting dynamic. And, you know, all the best. I think Teague is... Probably a coach that has a lot of potential, um, but just probably mistimed his run to to grab a senior coaching role at a club that really needed a lot of support and a lot of leadership from the coaching panel. Um, He just wasn't able to provide that. But learning uh, under someone like Damien Hardwick, who really was someone that built a a club that was struggling up to, to premiership success three times in four years, is you know, I think it's the perfect destination for fatigue at the moment, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, being under Damien Hardwick is going to give him a lot of experience in not only how to play the Richmond style of football... Mm, we but, love the um, Richmond
0: style of football. <laughs> but
1: also kind of just learning more as a as a senior coach as well, I think will be a good little experience for Teague coming off his stint at Carlton. So um, hopefully, you know, all the best and he's able to help maybe give some new light or give some new ideas to Hardwick in terms of their their style of football and uh we can see the Tigers possibly back into the top eight next year
0: yeah what we do know about Teague is that he, he does have a very smart footy brain but he's just unable to I guess lead the group in the way that Carlton needed so working behind someone like Damien Hardwick he's going to be able to do his role with a lot less pressure and I think that's what he kind of needs in an assistant ro- assistant coaching role at the moment.
1: Yeah, it's not all eyes on him. It's kind of a, a bit of a spread between Hardwick and some other people as well, possibly.
0: Yes, definitely. Now, we'll move on to our story three, our final injury update heading into the grand final. Now, there's nothing major, but a couple of things to keep our eyes on. And the first one is a new injury update. Um, it comes from the D's camp. Uh, there was a small concern for Charlie Smith Charlie Spargo was that Spargo, Spargo for some reason. Charlie Spargo, as he twisted his ankle or jarred his ankle in a training drill, it got caught under a tackle. um, But they are pretty confident that he will be okay to go. Tom McDonald, in fact, has said that there is absolutely no way he'd miss it, and worst case scenario, he'd have painkillers to help him out on the day.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously Spargo played every game this season uh, for the D's, kicking seventeen goals, including two in the prelim match against Geelong. So it would be a, a bit of a, a bit of a tough pill to swallow if you lost um, your chance at the grand final mm. this close to it. Um, tough it was, for him
0: personally, and tough for the for the yeah, whole group.
1: Both both either way. Um, it was a bit of a weird situation in terms of like the actual tackle itself. Um, he was just kind of slung in the tackle. Mm. His foot was just kind of caught under the other person's body which kind of twisted his ankle a bit. But luckily enough, there was no serious damage or anything like that. And he kind of walked off and got it taped up and stuff like that afterwards. Yeah, in
0: fact, he he proceeded to just uh, sit with the medics for a little while, get it assessed. He was not even sent for scans. That's how fine it really was. Um, And then he proceeded to just walk a few laps at the final stages of the session because it was kind of towards the end of the session that the incident happened in the first place. But he's been back on track, Um, obviously, Painkillers may be required, and if they are, so be it. That is totally fine. Most players will have been in a situation where they've played with a bit of pain. Um, now, the next one we've talked about a little bit, uh, it's been quite highly covered, is yeah. the uh, hamstring injury to Alex Keith. Out of all the players at the Bulldogs camp right now, he's the one with the biggest question mark, yeah. but I wouldn't even say a huge question mark. In that.
1: Yeah, obviously the, uh, the two-week recovery period that we've gone um, from not having the week by uh, between the 23rd round and the uh, the first finals round mm. uh, was a big help for, I think, Keith um, in terms of getting his recovery uh, so yeah, he's provided to provided fitness beginning with a light session on Monday. Uh, Caleb Daniel said uh, in an interview that he's training pretty well. He had an extensive session on Saturday and got a few more runs in his legs. And he'll be training with the main group as far as he knows. Um, and he's tracking really well. And hopefully he's available. I think he will be. I think by all accounts, Keith will probably be available for this. So it's not. It's going to be a big ad for the dogs' side. But um, obviously, they. Uh, Even if he's not available, I think the Dogs did a really good job um, in that last uh, preliminary final uh, to kind of hold the defence pretty well and Mm. stop a lot of uh, incoming goals from the Port Adelaide side. So, I mean, that's something to look at positively Mm. um, when your key key defender's not in the side for that last game.
0: Yeah, definitely. Would be a bit of a loss without Keith. I think that he's probably your most well-known and and probably most talented defender in the side at the moment but like you said what the dogs kind of lack in individual talent, which there's still a lot back there, probably in smaller stature defenders in Caleb Daniel and and Bailey Dale as well. Um, What they do lack in maybe individual talent is the ability to play their role. And I think someone like Cordy and someone like Gardner, whilst they're not highly touted as the best defenders in the league, they're able to say, okay, my role is to shut down so-and-so and they will go ahead and do that. And they'll do that role really well for the most part.
1: And I think that's something... Something testament to the dogs side um, is that they know when to play a role and when to play their style of game I think you've seen that over this past kind of final series in the way I think Bevo's kind of coached Mm. Um, it's been you know (sighs) play your role you do the work and then you kind of let the players that need to run around the field run around the field and they'll give you that generation of um, that ball magnet like Mm. McRae or or Bont um, to kind of give your side a bit more of the possession and time with the balls to to get that into more of a positive and a better outcome with a goal at the end so yeah
0: definitely and i think when it comes to how they're going to match up against melbourne we're going to cover that in our grand final preview so stick around for that guys and we'll be right back All right, we are back and we are here ready to discuss our grand final preview, all of our thoughts on this week's ultimate clash for the ultimate glory, what every team is after in terms of an AFL season when you set out and start. I think this is probably the most exciting week if you're an AFL fan on the calendar
1: yeah big day Uh, coming up very very soon on the Saturday night not the evening obviously Mm -hmm. with the changing of times over in Perth Mm -hmm. Um, so should be a fun game I think um, as I think was stated before and most of the world's stated in terms of the AFL I mean I don't know if you know people over in Greenland really care but (laughs) uh, it's possible Um, that these are the best two teams the entire season obviously uh, the Dogs had a bit of a bit of a lapse uh, in form towards the end but considering if you look at the whole entire season these were one and two for pretty much majority of it
0: yeah and i think what's really interesting is the dogs and the d's had two clashes throughout the season the first one the d's took out and the second one the dogs took out so at the moment they're one for one so not only is this the game for the grand final and and the Premiership Cup and the Premiership medals, this is the game that will ultimately decide who is the best out of those two teams for the season because going one for one, they really couldn't be split. Um, Obviously, the Ds ended up coming out on top of the minor Premiership, but um, the Dogs definitely had a rough run home um, with their form lapsing. So I think it's definitely... Time for them to prove that that was a very undogs like way to finish the season, and that, um, you know, despite sitting in fifth spot at, at the end of the season, they, they've made it through to the grand final and now have put themselves right in contention to win their second premiership in five
1: years. I mean, I called it. So, I mean. (laughs) That's your main concern. That's my main concern. I called this back when the Ds won against dogs the first time. So I'm glad that uh, my prediction came true. Um, But it's, I think it was a very undogs like way to finish the season. Normally you see the dogs trying to claw in into the top eight which makes them play a really good style of footy towards that end part of the season but obviously uh this year they played very good in the first half and uh the second kind of half before that kind of last little stretch so it gave them a bit of room and comfortability and obviously. Uh, the biggest thing to take away from this final series that dogs done it the hard way. They've mm. travelled to what is it, five or six different states within two weeks. Yes. Or oh, well, no, not two weeks. Like within it's, well, it's, yeah, it's a new over sta- the final series. Yeah, it's, it's a new. It's I a think new... it was within
0: two weeks originally because it was Victoria to Tassie to Queensland yes, was, to yeah. Adelaide. To Western back, Australia. Yeah, back so. over
1: to uh, sou- uh, South Australia, back over to Western Australia mm. again for the final. So obviously this is going to show if Dogs are able to uh, really be on the move and win the big one uh, with all these setbacks. Mm. And, um, and be able to adapt to their able situation. To obviously do- uh, Demons have only played two games in terms of this final series. Um, this one being the third one, obviously... Uh, So to see how they match up and how rested they are over these uh, little rest periods that they've been able to get uh, Mm. should be an interesting one to see nonetheless.
0: Now, I think um, how you say that the break definitely benefits some players. Um, Well, when you're the demons and you've had a couple of breaks, sometimes that starts to actually take away from your momentum So it'll be interesting to see who comes out firing at the start of the game But we really want to have a look at some of the key matchups that will probably be a big factor in deciding the outcome of this game I'm gonna kick it off and my biggest matchup to watch on the weekend is that of Stephen May and Aaron Norton Assuming they go head-to-head. I think it's going to be really up to Norton to be able to break that Melbourne Defense. Now we know that May had suffered a a hamstring setback in the D's prelim, um, but they're confident he's fit to play. However, I think Norton can really take that and try to expose it by getting up the ground. He might have to sacrifice his own game in terms of kicking goals a little bit, but if he can get up the ground and maybe get uh, Stephen May caught out of position, it's going to go a long way in the dogs being able to break through what we know is a class D's defence with both May and Lever getting into all Australian side this year. So I think that's probably one that's a big key to watch.
1: Yeah, um, I think Norton normally plays kind of that half-forward forward style anyway. He kind of runs up the ground to try to help out and he's got that speed about him as well that mm. makes him cover ground so quickly and I don't think people realise that as much. Uh, but Norton's got uh, some legs on it, and obviously he knows how to fly so um something may is also known known to do is fly as well and do, take those intercept marks but mm-hmm. um it will be the case if um Norton is able to catch May a bit off guard and take him out of that forward um 50 uh, yeah. to help his own side kind of possibly get an entry in there a bit easier
0: I think another thing to consider is if May is struggling with the Norton matchup it may force the D's to change a bit of their structure and we know how much they have relied on their structure being consistent throughout the year so it may be a switch up where Lever then has to go to Norton we know Lever likes to play a little bit freer of an opponent than May does um, and I think that changing Uh, that up will definitely have an effect on the game Um, as well as this I think the dogs are going to have to look outside the obvious avenues to goals they've got a lot of players that can kick goals we've seen over the last few weeks Hannon really become a a force around goal Um, we've seen Rourke Smith even be able to provide a couple of goals here and there and obviously with the inclusion of Waitman and then also Bailey Smith who has been the man of the final series so far Um, they've got avenues outside of their big key forwards to kick goals and i think that's probably going to have an effect i think if the dogs really look to change up an angle and not necessarily bomb it long because we know that doesn't really work against the d's that will be their biggest chance to score
1: um even if they bomb it long um dogs are able to crumb pretty well uh with a lot of their kind of small forwards obviously throughout this final series you've mm. had to see the uh at, at a date at, at a uh, the adaption mm. sorry is the word I'm looking. that's the word um <laughs> of not having bruce in the side not mm. having jamara in the side because he's just he's gonna get demolished jamara because he just doesn't have that size about him so having Norden as our key forward means that we've had to adjust um, the other small forwards or mid mm. forwards around Norden to pick up the crumbs and you know Make sure that the opposition aren't just picking up that ball after the ball hits the ground. So, you know, even Hannon playing a little bit at the back. So, if mm. a ball gets. Um,
0: We've seen him get yeah, a lot of cheapies. Yeah, a
1: lot of cheapies, like because he's just kind of floating around the back, yeah. waiting for the ball possibly to come back. And the dogs know that too. So, they kind of sh- shoot that handball back behind them to see if they can get something or other out of it. So, um, I think you've seen a bit of a, a good um, change in s- terms of. Not having that Bruce uh, in the side anymore, which has Mm. been um, a big thing for the dogs.
0: I think one thing you also can't forget is the presence of Josh Shackey. We know he hasn't been yeah. able to really cement his, start, his spot in the dog side this year and he's also been a bit of a swing man at times going back to defence but he's a player that despite not having played a lot of game time this year, you can't forget about him if you're the Melbourne defence. He's obviously got natural height and you can't leave someone you know, unmanned in, in the forward 50 with his stature but I think what he's also been able to do is play a bit more of a defensive forward role as Norton plays kind of the more attacking forward role. He is the reason why the ball's been coming to ground and that those players have been able to um, get those crumbs and get those goals. So I think the real advantage that the dogs have over the D's defence is the ability, as you said, to adapt and, you know, bringing Shaki in to play a certain role and having Norton and, and they're just bouncing off each other, I think is really, really important to note that the dogs are going to be able to, I guess, Change the pace of the game, and I think they're gonna ultimately have a little bit more control over the D's defense, which is a big, a big thing when it comes to a game like this.
1: And you know, if Norden's taken May out of the side, uh, because he's going a bit further upfield, Shaqie will be able to do what he kind of did to Aliyah and that's kind of put a bit of body onto, um, onto Lever, not letting mm. him get too far out to take those intercept marks and play freely. How, which... how
0: the game was played on Aliyah was was one of the best performances I've seen so far in so, this final series. And if
1: he's able to replicate that against Lever, then that's a big thing because that's pretty much the two... If, if no one is able to drag May out at mm. times, that's too big of the key defenders for Melbourne to all Australian defenders uh, for Melbourne. Mm. Um, kinda out of that forward fifty, leaving the dogs for a big opportunity there. Now, it's not gonna be just about the defence and the no, forward. Certainly the not. main battle that will be happening throughout this game is going to be the midfield. The midfield is where games are won at times. Um, and there is no there's no other better midfields in this competition besides these two teams, yes, obviously. It's- both
0: of their strengths.
1: Oh, obviously, for uh, Melbourne, you've got Oliver, uh, Petrarca, Viney, Harms, um, and Gorney in that side. For the mm. dogs, you've got Dunk, Dunkley, Libba. McRae, Bont, Smith, uh, English, uh, Martin is the other <laughs> one I'm thinking of. And, and then obviously you got Trelaw and Hunter that could possibly play, but Hunter plays more of a wing anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking, if I'm looking at the midfield battle, you're going to want to probably give a tag to Oliver um, because he obviously is just a ball magnet and if he gets too far away, that might be um, something that the dogs will lose quite quickly in terms of possession. So um, Dunkley did a pretty good uh, job on keeping Parrish in the second half quite quiet mm. um, in that first final series. He gained uh, eight disposals in the first quarter. Uh, 15 in the second. And then once Dunkley was put on a tag for Oliver, um, he, uh, Parish only gained five disposals and seven disposals respectively in the third and fourth quarter. So obviously that's a big one that you could put mm-hmm. on there. Dunkley knows how to play a role um, and especially him coming off the injuries. Um, it's something for him that he knows how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously Liver could be another tag option. Obviously he knows how to get in there and get the rough mm-hmm. balls, possibly kind of... Um, Dismissing Oliver's uh, impact, mm. uh, which is a big possibility as well.
0: Now, there's a couple of points I want to raise about that that you you kind of half brought up. You brought up the impact of uh, Max Gorn being in the Melbourne midfield, and we know he is far and wide the best ruckman in the league at the moment not only was he able to hit the scoreboard last week but he was absolutely dominant over the Geelong rucks and I think that is going to be a huge huge factor in this game obviously he's knocking it down to like you said the likes of Oliver Petrarca Harms Viney and I think that is going to be a really really important factor because not only is Gorney getting first use he's then giving his midfielders first use. So then, like you said, tagging one of those midfielders that are gonna get first use is just chopping off their access to the ball, essentially. Or as soon as they get the ball, there's heat and there's pressure on them. I think that is the only way to kind of nullify that Max Gorn impact. You can't really stop it at the source. You've gotta stop it the next step. Whilst English and Martin can do their very best to have an impact in the ruck, I think, you know, Gorn typically gets his way.
1: Yeah, and that's gonna be something that the dogs midfield are going to have to kind of have a look at as well in terms of having to read Max Gorney's ball uh, uh, hit outs Mm. um, and obviously Martin possibly and English just trying to give a bit more body. Obviously, uh, Martin doesn't have the height that Gorn does, but English kind of does, but English doesn't have the body that Mm. Martin does. So uh, maybe if they're able to combine forces, they can kind of push uh, Gornie out of the way, but I don't think Gourney's going to have the game he did last uh, the other week, sorry, um, with the five goals mm. and four goals in a quarter. don't think It would think be
0: quite something if he did. It would be.
1: I think the Dogs will make sure Gourney is stopped at all possible chances to make sure he doesn't kick any, too many goals at least. Um, mm. But then, if you look on the other hand, obviously McCrazy, other ball magnet uh, for the opposition side for Melbourne. Mm. Um, so, I'm thinking, you know, you might need to put Viney or Harms onto... Um, McRae for the same reasons why Dunkley and Libba might be going on to Oliver um I don't know if Harms or Viney really play that tagging role that much obviously Viney had a great game against Geelong Mm. um but I feel like the tagging options for Melbourne aren't as deep as they possibly are for the Dogs which might be something that um that the these, um coaching box need to look at definitely um, because you don't want to have McRae just kind of picking up those cheapy little handballs to pass them on to your next opponent and uh, their next player so that way mm. there's another chain in the link.
0: I think that it is going to be a fantastic matchup, but two games, uh, two names, sorry, that we haven't mentioned too much and I know you're going to want to talk about uh the impact that Max Bontempelli and Christian Petrarca can have on this game. Two Bulls two ball winners and some of the strongest players out on the field. So what's your take on their impact in the midfield?
1: Obviously, they kind of play the same sort of role. They kind of get that ball. They do the ball, little push through the people and kind of kick explosive. that explosive uh, way. They're also kind of the two goal kickers for the midfielder side, mm. uh, besides Bailey Smith and you know Trelaw, if he's running in from outside 50 kind of thing. Um, they're kind of the two goal kickers you would think that would happen for the midfield sides. Obviously, uh, um, it'll be interesting to see if they do play on each other. I wouldn't be surprised if they do because they do play that same, similar role. Um, but but I, I think wants to prove a point. I think Petrarca wants uh, to have this great moment for their side. So I think a lot of um, passion um, will come out of both these players, and think, a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of game time and a lot of things that you'll just go like, wow. How did he do that type of thing? Yes, they're
0: really star qualities. They're big game players. And like you said, I think they're both two players that wear their heart on their sleeve, both so passionate about their respective clubs. Now, I think we're going to move on from the midfield now, and I just want to touch on the other end of the field, which is obviously Melbourne's attacking side and the Dogs' defensive side. The Dogs' defensive unit have had a question mark over their head. I won't dwell on it again because we talked about it previously with the Keith injury update. Um, But I think the way... that uh, Melbourne get around the defense is obviously their big marking forwards are going to need to be in full flight. So um, whether it's Bailey Fritch or Ben Brown, I think they're going to really need to kick multiple goals in this game to uh, see the Ds get over the top. We know that they're both capable, particularly Bailey Fritch in recent weeks has uh, done a a good job up forward kicking a few goals. Same with Brown. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who goes where. Um, but who do you think will match up on who in that in that aspect of the game?
1: I would assume that if Keith is in, he'll go on to Brownie. Um, uh, and Fritch, I would see probably Bailey Williams, if not possibly Gardner probably playing on him. Um, I'd say Gardner. Play, just because you probably want a bit of speed because Fritch, even though he's a bit slow at times, he can kind of just... Be out of nowhere and just kind of just pop up and mm-hmm. have that. So if you have someone just consistently playing on him, making sure that he's not going to go up for a few fly marks, which he's done before, mm-hmm. um, kind of just spoiling his his marking contest, uh, which is one of the main things. And I mean, with the D's, I think that's the thing that's kind of um, coming to question was their forward line out of any other. They know the midfield's great, they know the defense is great, mm-hmm. but the forward line is where they're being kind of hit or miss at times and it's going to be the likes of Brown and Fritch um, that are going to kind of and even um, Pickett as well, Mm. sorry that are going to kind of dictate how well and how much of a scoring game Melbourne are going to have?
0: I think the big question mark that has been the Melbourne forward line all season isn't that they haven't been able to score or anything along those lines because obviously we know they've been off, up at the top of the ladder all season so they've been able to really you know, get scores on the board but it's been the fact that their forward line has actually changed so much throughout the season we saw obviously Weideman getting a couple of games yeah. and then not being able to solidify his spot in the side Brown was on the outs for a while and Now he's come back in just in time for finals. Um, But the consistent ones there have been Fritsch and also Tom McDonald. So um, a couple of really, you know, sources that have solidified their spot. Then, as you mentioned, you've got Pickett, you've got Spargo, you've got the likes of Petrarca who can get forward and score as well. So again similar to the dogs they do have a lot of avenues to goal despite their forward line not really being set in stone
1: i feel like mcdonald has been quite quiet throughout this final series which means he's probably not in the best form but you know if he's able to get up the ground a little bit much like norton and just kind of have those impacts kind of further up the ground than rather inside that 50 Mm. uh that's probably where uh, mcdonald will probably play his game i would think but It'll be an interesting one to say the least. I think the real question is going to be the Dogs' defence and the Melbourne forward, um, mm-hmm. as well as who's going to win that midfield contestant battle. Um, that will probably be the one that will more than likely possibly win the game for either side. Mm. Um, it'll just have to come down to who turns up on the day.
0: It's going to really be a contest of the mini games and the mini matchups within the bigger scheme of things. Yeah. And I think we've pretty much unpacked as much as we possibly can. So I would love to hear your tip for the grand final. Who's it going to be? I'm
1: going to go Dogs by sixteen.
0: Very good. Um, I am also going to go with the Dogs. I think um, they've got probably the most room for adaptation on the day. So I still think it could go either way. I think it's probably going to be one of the closest grand finals we've seen in the last couple of years. Obviously, we've seen the Tigers, uh, you know, kind of get away with a couple against the Giants and the Cats. So I hope we get a really exciting game. I'm going to stick with the Dogs. I think that they are probably have a little bit more excitement a little bit more motivation they've done it the hard way I'll go with the dogs by 11
1: points yeah I mean obviously the bigger other key point that I don't know if you've heard or not but this is the first grand final for Melbourne in 50 plus years so mm. obviously they have a bit of spark to kind of get behind and win this one for their side but obviously the dogs know how to do it the hard way uh, you saw it in 2016 we've seen it in 2021 Um, We'll just have to see who wants the grand final cup. More.
0: I think if you're not a Dogs fan and not a D's fan, you're relatively happy either way it goes. Yeah. I think that we're very happy to have two Melbourne teams in the grand final and um, two teams that haven't been yeah. up there recently a lot. So no Tigers, no Hawks, no, none of those of the like. But no Collingwood. No Collingwood. <laughs> no
1: Carlton. God, if Carlton were up there. <laughs> hey, ugh. Carlton
0: have not won a Premiership in 26 years. Leave us alone.
1: No. Alone. No.
0: Anyway, we are going to wrap it up there for today's episode. So thank you so much for tuning into the 33rd episode of After the Siren. I have absolutely loved bringing this podcast to you. And I think that it is going to be a fantastic weekend for all footy fans. So keep your calendar clear for Saturday night. It's going to be a big game. Again, if you would like to find us on social media, you can find us at After the Siren Podcast on Inst- on Instagram and After the Siren underscore on Twitter. Yeah. And again, our personal social medias are in the description and if there is anything else you are welcome to send us a direct message with your top grand final moment to that instagram account otherwise thank you so much for tuning in anything to add jarvis
1: no go dogs go dogs